Thank you for downloading this episode of Plugged In, and thanks for the emails about the show. To give us more feedback, be sure to rate and review the podcast, and subscribe, of course. Welcome to the latest episode of Plugged In, a post-media podcast taking you down Canada's electric vehicle highway. I'm your host, Andrew McCready. Today, my guest is Toyota Canada Vice President Stephen Beatty, who originally joined the company over two decades ago as the National Manager for Government and Policy Relations. Toyota is an interesting player in the electrified vehicle space in that despite its Prius models essentially owning the hybrid marketplace in Canada since the turn of the century, we're still waiting for the first fully electric mass market vehicle from the innovative Japanese company. But as you'll hear during the interview, that's about to change as Toyota announced at the recent Tokyo Motor Show that a Toyota all-electric and a Lexus all-electric are coming in a few months. However, it doesn't look like either is headed to Canada anytime soon. Stephen is at heart a policy wonk, and he has some enlightening takes on certain provinces' calls to require automakers to sell a certain amount of zero-emission vehicles by 2030, or else be forbidden to sell any vehicles in that province. He's been logging big kilometers the past year or so to a number of provincial capitals to discuss this proposed policy, so is well-versed in this issue. But before we get to the interview, some news from the electric vehicle world. I attended the aforementioned Tokyo Motor Show a couple of weeks ago, and it more than lived up to its billing as a, quote, different kind of car show, unquote. Namely, there were no cars at the Toyota display. In fact, walking the show floor, there weren't that many vehicles at all. Instead, it was all about mobility, from wheelchair-assisted devices to single-seaters to self-driving people movers. The Tokyo Summer Games just over six months away, and Toyota a major sponsor of the games, much of what it had to show off revolved around electrified autonomous vehicles. Pretty cool stuff, but not very relevant to us here in Canada, at least for the time being. However, the show wasn't a total loss for us EV fans as Mazda unveiled its first ever all-electric vehicle, the MX-30. That's the good news. The somewhat disappointing news is it has a small battery pack, just 35 kilowatts, with a full charge range, according to Mazda, of just over 200 kilometers. If you want more range, the solution offered by the automaker is the addition of a small, gas-powered rotary engine that, when running, charges up the battery pack. Yes, the same kind of range extender technology found in the Chevrolet Volt and the BMW i3. Let's hope this is just a half-step towards Mazda coming to market with a bona fide EV with a competitive full-charge range. That said, the MX-30's battery range will work for most commuters, and the rotary engine does provide peace of mind from range anxiety and also the ability to drive for extended distances without having to stop for a charge. Not sure if you have heard about this, but there's a new kind of road rage brewing out there, one that involves electric vehicle owners. So-called charging station rage has been a thing down in Silicon Valley for a while now, and recently it was reported that similar conflicts between EV owners are cropping up in Canada, particularly in Vancouver. According to BC Hydro, almost a quarter of electric vehicle drivers surveyed have argued with a fellow EV driver at a public charging station, and nearly one-third have witnessed such an argument. Essentially, it stems from an EV owner plugging in their vehicle for much longer than is really required, in some cases for their entire shift at work, which means an EV owner wanting to use that station to charge up is out of luck. Can't say I'm surprised by this, as years ago I saw it coming. Back then I had a first-generation Nissan Leaf for a long-term test drive, about six months, and used it on my daily commute to the Vancouver Sun's downtown office, where there were two charging stations in the underground parking lot. 
In addition to myself, there was a Tesla Model S owner and a Mitsubishi iMiev owner who used the stations. And out of mutual respect for one another, we'd move our vehicles once we had the charge we needed, then would send a text to each other to say the station was free. Worked like a charm. And I heard about similar arrangements by other EV owners during those early adopter days. Back then, the EV community was a real community of like-minded individuals. Today, that community has given way to the EV being much more of a commodity, resulting in EV owners with little sense of being part of the same tribe. Throw in the fact that it's free to charge up at these stations, and you've got a recipe for conflicts. All right, let's get on to my talk with Stephen. So I'm here today with Stephen Beattie, Vice President and Corporate Secretary of Toyota Canada. Uh, Stephen, I've known a long time. Uh, before th- this position, which he's held for um, over 21 years, 20 years, uh, Stephen began with Toyota Canada in 1989 as National Manager, Government and Public Relations. Prior to that, uh, he worked for a decade as Executive Director of the Canadian Apparel Manufacturers Institute and the Canadian Apparel Federation. And prior to that, he was a senior political advisor in Ottawa, including chief of staff to the Minister of Justice and the Attorney General of Canada. Needless to say, a rather diverse career. Welcome, Stephen. Thanks. I, I just couldn't get anything to stick. <laughs> well, you seem to have found your place at Toyota. Well, I appreciate it. And thanks for having me on. First question, which I ask all guests is, what was the first electrical vehicle you drove? You know, the um, I guess the first electric vehicle that I would have driven would be, be a golf cart at a summer job. You know, I've asked that question so many times and nobody's given the correct answer and you have. Thank you so much. Personally, I think my answer would be a bumper car at the CNE. You're right. When you're five years old. So you you proved that I'm a liar already. (laughs) (laughs) So yes. So uh, we're actually doing this recording from the 19th floor of the Kia Plaza Hotel in Tokyo on the occasion of the uh, 2019 Tokyo Motor Show. Big news from Toyota at this show is they are diving into all electric vehicles with two on the horizon, probably going to be announced next month. So more on that later. Um, Unfortunately, neither of those are coming to Canada yet. So the question most people ask when they're told this is happening is what took Toyota so long, Stephen? Well, in fact, it didn't take us very long at all. If if you remember, uh, we were actually the first company to hit the um, electric vehicle requirements in California with the original RAV4 EV. And we brought out a second version of it uh, that we built in Ontario that, uh, that again, was shipped largely to the United States. But I think the important thing to understand when we're talking about vehicle electrification is that, um, in fact, any sort of vehicle, ultimately, you can engineer any kind of solution to any type of problem. Uh, getting it at the right price is always the issue. Uh, but the big thing that um, that decides success or failure of any product is whether or not their consumer is willing to buy it. And at the time, they just didn't exist. Yeah. What what years were they RAV4? When was that uh, taking place? Oh, um, you know, early 2000s for the original one. Right. And then, then over the past decade with the, with the second generation. Right. I mean, to be fair to talk about Toyota and electrification, they've actually defined it in the hybrid space. The name hybrid is almost synonymous with to- Toyota. You own that space in many regards. Well, and, and that's that's it. The, when I joined Toyota, one of the first things that happened was that my job description changed because seven right-hand drive Priuses from Japan showed up with a you know sort of a yellow si- sticky note on them saying, "See if anybody wants these." And uh, we spent a lot of time going to fall fairs and environmental festivals and just anywhere that people were gathering and trying to explain to them what what this new technology was all about. But but that's really something that we're still engaged in, in trying to do. Electrification 
is not synonymous with battery electric vehicles. It's about a whole host of different technologies that go certainly around battery electric vehicles, but also to fuel cells. And on the other side, starts with hybrids and moves through plug-in hybrids. And depending on what you're trying to do with the vehicle, those different technologies can produce uh, you know, better, uh, better results in some cases. Right. And certainly uh, from a regional point of view, some of these propulsion systems are, are logical in some markets and not in others. Well, that's right. And you know, the further away you are from infrastructure or if, um, you know, if the electric grid is largely powered by hydrocarbons, then, for example, hybrid makes a whole lot more sense than, than a battery electric vehicle. Right. Something that was interesting at the Toyota presentation was the fact that the hybrids aren't selling that well in America. What about in Canada? Uh, well, they've, they've taken off. I'll give you a good example. Um, I would say last year our sales of hybrids accounted for somewhere between 10 and 11% of our total sales. This year they're at 15%. Wow. And I, I would expect that next year they will hit 20% of our sales. Is that a function of fuel price primarily, do you think? Are people looking just for more economical vehicles or is it, a, is it, is it actually a, a bigger picture emissions story for people? Well, I think, I think drop in sales relates to, to energy pricing and and you know, general philosophy, I guess. Um, in Canada, there certainly is, I believe, a, a higher awareness of environmental issues and, and, and a desire to do something about that if it doesn't compromise, you know, your budget, if it doesn't compromise the way you have to drive a vehicle. People are prepared to make that, that shift. And we certainly saw that. The moment that the RAV4 uh, hybrid came out, uh, we started getting lineups at dealerships, and, and people understand that for a $1,400 difference between a conventional vehicle and the hybrid, it just makes sense. And there's the rub with an electric vehicle, because the 1400 could be $14,000 difference. Well, there's another rub, and um, well, actually, there's several rubs. One is, <laughs> um, you know, if you live in a, in a four-story walk-up in Montreal, the chances are that you don't have a place to, to park it and plug it in. But we'll solve that over time. That's just a question of long-term infrastructure investments. But um, in the in the short term, the critical issue is that the materials that you need for batteries are in relatively short supply, um, and they're expensive. So if you think about it, a um, a typical battery electric car has a has a battery pack that's say sixty kilowatt hours. The typical battery pack in a in one of our hybrids is. Uh, uh, 1.4 kilowatt hours. So when you start to think about how best to apply the technology, we can, uh, you know, based on this year's battery supply, um, we could build uh, one and a half million hybrids or 35,000 battery electric vehicles. And, right. And, you know, in the past election, someone was, uh, you know, famously saying everywhere that you can't negotiate with physics. The, the thing that you really can't negotiate with is math. And uh, the important thing about it is that if you, if you look at this, um, that means that, you know, we can build roughly 43 hybrids for, you know, uh, for an equivalent battery electric vehicle. Uh, there were, what, 44,000 um, uh, ZEVs or zero emission vehicles sold in Canada last year. Now, to be fair, about half of those were plug-in hybrids, so the math doesn't work quite the same way. But let's assume they were all battery electric cars. And um, uh, so if we just converted all of those to hybrids, we would have had every new vehicle sold in Canada last year be a hybrid. And since every one of those would produce about a 30% reduction in carbon emissions, 
you'd have a much, much bigger impact on the one thing that we're all trying to achieve, which is to reduce carbon emissions. Right. And that's certainly, I think, the at the core of the philosophy of multi-propulsion platforms for Toyota, as opposed to one. It absolutely is. And, and I, I think the other thing to keep in mind is that we've been, we've been talking for the last several years about becoming a mobility company, not a, not a car company. I, I think it's, it's about how people get around. And the reality is you don't always need a car to do that. So one of the other things that you know, has been on display here at the Tokyo Motor Show are all of the new uh, low-distance electric vehicles that, um, that, that we're proposing to, uh, to show at the Olympics next year. And the Olympics is a great test pad for that because it is really a global village where people, you know, come together, they experience vehicles, they experience life in, in, uh, in sort of a microcosm. And there's an opportunity for us here to both test out some business models, but also to give people from around the world access to new technologies and see how they respond. Yeah. And during the presentation two days ago, we saw some of those and they're, they're pretty slick and they're all electric. Right. And the point of the story is that if you're driving a small electric vehicle, um, you know, it might be a scooter, it might be, um, you know, any number of, of small neighborhood devices, then you're not behind the wheel of a, an internal combustion engine vehicle. One thing you told me a couple of days ago was you've been uh, traveling to Victoria and also Quebec. And uh, that harkens back to your government days, I guess, because you're doing a lot of policy work with those governments. Um, can you explain what's, what's happening there? I think a lot of people aren't really aware of what's happening in those situations. Well, you know, a couple of things are happening. I, I, think, I think governments are, you know, doing the right thing in the sense that they're very focused on, on the need to contribute to reductions in carbon emissions. And that's something we all agree on, and, uh, and it should be an urgent priority for us. But um, what happens, particularly we have people who aren't from the transportation sector, is they look at it, they say, well, you know, about 40% of national emissions of carbon come from transportation. So how can I, you know, equate this to taking cars off the road? Well, it, that's, that's great. Well, the, the, perhaps the easiest way to think about that is to say, you know, we have electricity running through, um, through all of our homes, so we can just plug in and problem solved. The difficulty, of course, is um, those technologies are extremely expensive. Uh, nobody has yet found a way to be profitable selling a you know full battery electric vehicle. But more importantly, if um, you know if we're looking to get the kind of exponential growth in sales that are happening, um, then we need to somehow find a way to incentivize that cost difference so that so that consumers are prepared to uh, to, to make those, those those purchase decisions right. all of us in our heads are noble and you know want to do the right thing but sooner or later we come to the reality of our budget and um, and realize it just doesn't stretch to something that might be twice the cost of, of what I'm used to uh, to driving just to tell the, the the listeners what this is all about is the policies these provincial governments are looking at is putting in a is a quota system a safe way to say it, or essentially to to sell vehicles in these jurisdictions, a percentage of them would have to be zero emission vehicles? That's absolutely correct. But maybe the better way to think about this is that for as long as I've been alive, we have thought about you know the best way of driving efficiency in vehicles is to deal with fuel economy. Right now we're moving. Yes, on that front, because we have uh, national standards on GHG emissions, which you know it's a one-to-one -one relationship to the amount of fuel that you burn. Right. And then on top of that, 
are these requirements on a local level to sell zero emission vehicles. And the difficulty with it is that you can, you know, you can set high targets for zero emission vehicles, but what it does, and it goes back to that, that story about how many battery cells do you have, is that the investment in those sorts of technologies tends to take energy away from everything else in the market. So what we're seeing in Quebec, for example, which was the first province to bring in a, a, a ZEV program, is that there are more electric vehicles being sold than at any time in Quebec history. It's great because um, you know the grid in Quebec is green. It's powered by uh, by hydro, and um, you know so ultimately it's a it's a very elegant solution. The problem is in the short term, battery electric vehicles are best suited to small, short distance vehicles. So what happens is that you get these expensive short short lighter short distance vehicles. In other words, cars, and in Quebec at least, most people drive small cars. So we are taking people out of what are relatively fuel-efficient vehicles, putting them in battery electric vehicles at enormous cost. And meanwhile, uh, what's happening in Quebec is what's happening all across the country. Other people are fleeing from cars and wanting to buy SUVs. And so we have this funny situation in Quebec where more electric vehicles than ever are being sold, but carbon emissions continue to rise. Right, right. So there's something wrong in the policy if um, you know if, if you go that route, and so our, our message generally to the governments has been, the way to tackle this is to keep nudging up the uh, the requirements on greenhouse gas emissions. Set a target for carbon reduction, and you'll get ZEVs as part of that. Each manufacturer would have a number or an overall number. Each manufacturer would have a number, but that would all build up toward a total carbon target for the country. Right. And this is where things like hybrids and plug-ins are, are part of that, whereas right now they're kind of off to the side. Well, in fact, they're disincentivized. Right. Um, so, and, and it's not just hybrids and plug-in hybrids. I look at a company like uh, like Mazda, which, for example, has the uh, has, has the best fleet fuel efficiency in, um, in, uh, in Quebec. But um, it gets no no benefit at all because it's not using electrified technologies. Right. So, however you deal with this, if if we accept that there's urgency to dealing with with uh, with climate, that uh, there's urgency to to reducing carbon, then you need to throw every technology you possibly can at the problem and to go from there. And beyond that, you not just you don't just need to deal with that. You need to deal with the fact that we sell, you know, two million vehicles a year in Canada across the industry, but there are twenty-six million in the total vehicle park. So it's not just new cars, and it's not just a small percentage of new cars that affect those em emissions from transportation. You right. have to you have to take a holistic approach to it. Listening to you explain it, it, it sounds very logical. I mean, is that message getting through to these governments? Do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we live in a world of politics by soundbite, and as, as you just heard, I'm not good at that soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas a good soundbite is by 2030, 40% of our cars will be electric. Right. And by 2050, all of them will be. These kind of, I won't say unrealistic, but they, they, a lot of things have to happen positively for that to happen. Right. And in fact, what's, what, one of the things that's going to have to happen is there'll have to be a couple more big breakthroughs in battery chemistry um, in order to get the cost down, the reliability factors up. Um, we also need to be investing very heavily in uh, recycling programs for end-of-life batteries because 
currently the energy cost for recycling a lithium ion battery, for example, is very, very high. Right. It essentially takes away a lot of the benefits that you had early on from, right. from, from the system. Today's EV podcast is sponsored by Motorino Electric, a brand that has become a symbol for quality, performance, and style, incorporating the latest technologies in their electric motorcycles, scooters, bicycles, and vehicles since 2003. Something talked about by Toyota at the show, and, and you know, listeners who know the EV space will know this, that, that your company's been working on solid-state batteries. We, we, we have, and, um, um, and, and, and we think... You know, we th- we think it's very promising, and that that that's where you'll get some of the cost performance benefits from it. Um, but ultimately, what we think is that for much of transportation, it's fuel hydrogen fuel cells that are the the way of the future. And to that point, you you uh, here unveiled the second generation Mira, your hydrogen car. Right, Mirai. Mirai, um, I'm sorry. Mirai is a, a Japanese word that means future. Um, and, you know, so I, I guess if you were going to brand something that spoke to what you thought the, uh, you know, the ultimate uh, eco car was going to be, uh, calling it the future is, uh, is, 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 is probably a message to everybody. Right. And as, as maybe some listeners don't know, a, a hydrogen car, a fuel cell car is essentially an electric vehicle. It has a battery pack. It's, it's silent, zero emission. It drives like an electric. It is an electric vehicle. The only difference is instead of plugging it in, you fuel it with hydrogen. Right. So the, the real difference in that sense is that hydrogen isn't a fuel, it's a carrier of energy. And um, so instead of storing energy in a battery, you're storing it in the form of hydrogen, which, um, you know, which, is, a, which is an interesting molecule. molecule. It's the most abundant um, you know, molecule in the, in, in, the, um, in the universe. It also likes to attach itself to things. And so the process of attaching itself to oxygen uh, does a couple of things. It creates electricity, and its byproduct is water. So it's um, it's it's fabulous. On the other side, you can run electricity through water and create hydrogen. So it's a uh, it it ha- offers the opportunity for a completely green cycle. But that's not the only place you get hydrogen from. You can get it from industrial by uh, you know byproducts of industrial process. Uh, it certainly is also a, a byproduct of uh, of oil production. It's a byproduct of uh, oh, methane from um, you know from landfill or from uh, sewage sewage systems. So there's lots of ways that you can use hydrogen processes to. To, to, to green emissions overall. And, and obviously the, the issue with hydrogen is, is an issue that also exists for electric vehicles is infrastructure. Uh, Montreal, or Quebec City and, and Vancouver are, are, have a couple of stations, one station, more on the way. But Quebec has a very interesting hydrogen model. Yeah. So again, what, what we're seeing now is um, large-scale centralized production of hydrogen taking place. The, the first station that we're opening, uh, or that has opened actually in Quebec City, has its own electrolyzer. It sits, you know, at the station and produces, uh, you know, produces uh, hydrogen on site. So it goes straight from the electrolyzer into a tank, and from there it's dispensed to the car. Um, which which means that you get very little loss of energy. Um, but as we look at it, um, the sort of cost efficiency comes with large centralized production. What's interesting about it, of course, is that then you can drop that hydrogen into natural gas and reduce the carbon. Uh, content of the natural gas. 
You can um, ship it by um, you know by tanker truck to a local um, local gas station. You can uh, put it into industrial processes. Uh, for example, here in in Japan, Toyota has developed industrial burners, which allow us to substitute hydrogen for natural gas. And when we look at our manufacturing footprint in in Canada, that's one of the things that we're very interested in 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 uh, taking on. Ultimately. We want to look at our industry and, and certainly our company from a zero carbon emission standpoint, and that means everything from manufacturing on through to the ultimate disposal of the vehicle. And getting back to British Columbia and Quebec with hydropower, you told me it's called green hydrogen. It is green hydrogen because, of course, all of that comes from a you know from a, a renewable natural resource with uh, you know with no no emissions of its own. What's a little more shocking, and I won't speak to Quebec or uh, or BC because I, I know better than to insult somebody else's province. Um, but in Ontario, we have built an incredible infrastructure for producing uh, for, for producing electricity. It is very expensive, um, and um, you know we've we've built capacity for peak, which means in the you know middle of the day uh, on a hot summer's day when everybody's got their air conditioning cranked and the Ontario economy is running flat out, we have the capacity to be able to meet Ontario's needs. Meanwhile, overnight, um, when everybody's in, in bed and that power's not needed, it still has to be produced in many cases. It has to go off the grid. And so you can watch in real time as Ontario sells its electricity at less than cost to the U.S. And it's appalling to me that we would take those types of investments, uh, create this asset for Ontarians, and not put it back into uh, creating a comparative advantage in manufacturing or in re- removing um, carbon emissions from long-distance freight or doing any number of other things with it. It's just a wasted opportunity. Right, right. And that's certainly being talked about. It, it, it is. But it's, um, you know, I, I feel like I've turned into a hydrogen evangelist. And, and, and I guess what I'm trying to say about that is, unfortunately, sometimes that ends up with Toyota being portrayed as a kind of one-trick pony that only believes in hydrogen fuel cells. And we don't. We, right. we believe in this multi-lane approach toward electrification. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's the best way to frame what I've learned here in Tokyo about Toyota's plan with electrification, our many solutions. Last question. What do you think is a tipping point for EVs? You know, I, I think over, over the course of, of your po- podcast, you're going to come up with your own working definition of what's an EV. For me, it's that, that range of vehicles from hybrids to, uh, to, uh, to fuel cell vehicles and everything in between. Uh, and I would just say that, you know, anytime I go to Vancouver and see the taxi fleet having been taken over by hybrids, uh, in some respects, we, we hit that tipping point a long time ago. Um, I, I believe Canadians are ready for, um, you know, that change in lifestyle and choices in transportation, but we need a very holistic approach to, um, uh, to, to dealing with it. Um, it is not possible to do what we're doing right now with governments providing incentive supports to people who buy, you know, expensive new cars. That's not a very progressive thing to do. We need to be able to get our technologies to a point where uh, where the price is right. We need to be able to have the infrastructure in place to support those new technologies. We need to have people comfortable with the um, with the uh, longevity of those technologies and and the fact that they're bulletproof. 
Um, and frankly, that's where the cab drivers have been, been so successful in helping us to get that message across. And we need to look at, um, you know, urban land use policies. We need to look at, um, you know, what, what I would refer to as carbon kilometers traveled. How do you deal with the people around Toronto who commute two hours a day in their car to get to work? Um, uh, there's gotta be a better model. And, um, and, you know, now would be a good time for us to be having that debate. I think we can do it. I think there's some urgency to it. Um, and I think we can do it in ways that sets Canada up to be a leader in, in uh, new transportation technologies. Stephen Beatty from Toyota Canada. Thank you very much. Thank you. Trust you enjoyed hearing from Stephen. It's always a little tricky interviewing an automaker executive as they are, by nature, extremely cautious in voicing too much of an opinion apart from how wonderful their vehicles are. And while it can't be said that Stephen really drifted too far off the Toyota script, he did speak pretty frankly during the wide range of subject matter we covered. Two points in particular resonate. The first was his take on the misguided way some provincial governments are approaching their efforts to reduce greenhouse emissions. As he said, instead of mandating that a certain number of vehicles sold by a given manufacturer must be zero emission vehicles, a move that would prove wholly unprofitable for automakers, a better way is to simply set an emission standard for an automaker's entire fleet of new model vehicles, from full EVs to hybrids to SUVs to pickup trucks. This is certainly not a new concept as the long-adopted CAFE rules follow this formula. As I've said in previous podcasts, arbitrarily assigning a year, 2030 and 2050 seem to be in vogue these days, to hit an EV adoption rate is little more than a soundbite tossed out by politicians attempting to appear serious about tackling climate change which is arguably the most pressing issue of our time. As such, we need serious and real-world solutions, not tied up with a bow proclamations that will do more harm than good. The other intriguing discussion with Stephen concerned Quebec's pursuit of green hydrogen production. What a great idea, and one that I wonder if government officials in my province of British Columbia are considering. Like Quebec, our electricity comes from a renewable resource, and like Quebec, there is no shortage of elected officials looking for every opportunity to plant a green flag. Hopefully I can get someone from BC's governing NDP party on the podcast soon to discuss this idea. Stay tuned. That's it for this episode. Thanks to my guests, Stephen Beattie, producer extraordinaire Dar Makwana, and you for joining me on another electrifying journey down the EV highway. We always welcome your comments and criticisms via email at pluggedin at postmedia.com. For your daily dose of automotive news, views, and reviews, be sure to check out driving.ca and subscribe to Plugged In wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.